Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin episode 20. Today is May 18th, 2014. My name is Sébastien Couture. I am a Bitcoin uh, entrepreneur, among other things. I do uh, the Bitcoin Tax Lead Meetup and I'm also a UX designer on the side. Uh, and I'm uh, Brian Fabian Crane. I'm a Berlin based kind of Bitcoin entrepreneur and I run the Bitcoin Meetup in Berlin. And uh, this is kind of a special episode because we're actually uh, in Amsterdam, Brian and I. This is the second time we do the episode face to face or side by side as we are sitting. We are on uh, we're at Satoshi Square or Satoshi Plain as they call it in uh, Amsterdam, also uh, Lights Plain. Um, this is where they have the uh, first Bitcoin meetups at a cafe just down the street from here. And we're joined by two gentlemen that we met at the conference at the uh, Bitcoin Foundation conference here in Amsterdam that took place over the last three days. Uh, gentlemen, can you introduce yourselves? Uh, yeah, I'm Jorge Dimon. Uh, I worked uh, at Frycoin, I propose it. Uh, uh, with me is also Mark Friedenbach. Hello, and uh, I would do Bitcoin development. I uh, work on various uh, long-term improvements to the Bitcoin core daemon. And uh, I've also worked with Jorge on uh, Frycoin and Fry Markets and various other uh, long-term plans for extending the Bitcoin protocol. And you are Mark Friedenbach. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And so, where are you guys from? Uh, I'm from Spain, Cáceres, a small city there. And I'm from San Jose, California. Cool. Uh, is this your first time in Amsterdam? Yeah. That's well, my third. Cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I came to the last conference here and also a conference on complementary currencies. Okay. How do you, how do you like the conference? Uh, the conference, it's good to meet uh, a lot of people that you only interact with online and have yeah. face-to-face conversations. I mean, that, I think that's the real heart of the conference. Um, I think it's also good, many of the talks that we that we saw uh, were good avenues for getting information about Bitcoin. I mean, one that comes to mind for anyone who's new to Bitcoin is Alan Rainier's talk uh, about securing wallets. He has a lot of good practical I, advice. I've seen uh, a presentation that I think he gave at another conference. I don't know if it's changed, but yeah, that was excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he always does a very good job, and he's very user-focused. And uh, So uh, I think a lot of the conference was about that. There was a lot of developer Q&A sessions where, again, it was a chance for people to interact and get feedback or get responses about things they're concerned with. And so uh, those are probably worth watching just to, uh, to see if anything you might have been thinking about, you know, get some developer's opinion on it and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think all those talks are going to be available uh, online later. They were... Most of the talks were being filmed. So I hope so. I didn't I, see I all think, of them. I think they'll be online. I hope so. Yeah. And Jorge, what were your impressions? Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, uh, mostly it's about interacting with other people you meet there, and I think it's not so much about the talks, which you can watch later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's nice to meet uh, many people, like put faces to to the people you're talking with in, on the internet. Yeah, I think that's kind of the impression we got too. Is yeah, I mean, like I, the talks. If we can get them <laughs> online later, it's better to kind of just like stay on the floor and talk to people. And I mean, we were doing I mean, interviews. Well, and, and yeah. as a developer, I have to say that a big part of when you're when you're working remotely is having some sort of relationship with the yeah. people that you're working with, and uh, having met people in person who you had never met prior really helps improve that. Helps you get be more productive. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've. The talks I've seen, I, I wasn't overly impressed, but I guess once you've been in Bitcoin or kind of engaged with the, all that material for a while... Um, there, there was some new stuff. 
for example, uh, Mike Hearn's idea oh, yeah. That, yeah. that was new and it was very interesting for funding development and new project. So he's building uh, some sort of a decentralized funding platform. I think he's calling it the Lighthouse. Yes, I believe yeah. Lighthouse. And it's a mechanism where you can do crowdfunding over the blockchain um, using maybe a system like Dropbox or BitTorrent Sync to, to, to share files related to whatever you're pledging. Um, so it's completely decentralized. Um, there's a server mode, but it's optional. And I think it's really going to help. It's something I wish I had a year ago when I started doing community-funded Bitcoin stuff because it's making posts in the forum and hoping people donate, it just doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that kind of goes in with uh, like his talk that he gave at the Turin Festival and where he talks about autonomous vehicles and like kind of crowdfunding public good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't, we didn't see his talk. Where we spoke about it uh, with him afterwards and he was explaining to us and like immediately it struck me as like so you're building this this is what you're talking about you're building it man. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a bunch of attempts you know in that direction there's like more and more i think it, or if you saw that dark market thing it's no. it's the same same attempt so taking like you know things like dropbox kickstarter ebay and kind of decentralizing them I think it's really good that my current approach from the, the right perspective. There, there's so many people who are trying to make a quick buck here, and he looked at it and said, well, he needs to create a decentralized service people can trust. And later on, he'll figure out how to make money off of it. But the important thing is making the I think he's going to charge first. a fee, no? Like, uh, like I Kickstarter. I don't want to speak for him, but I... Mean, I he, think I, I've asked him, and I think that sounded like it was the plan. So, you know, like Kickstarter takes yeah. like 8%, and then maybe his will yeah. be like 1%, or I don't know. But we asked uh, him about that, and during the talk he said... Uh, for now, he's planning on actually just kickstarting his own work on it right um, away. Yeah, I, I don't so know. Maybe I think we'll he's going to release like it. a partial client and uh, then crowdfund features to add to it. So let's talk a bit more about the conference. Also, in terms of you know, what was your impression? It was about you know, it was about a thousand people. Yeah, it was, it was it, a it nice, was much bigger than last year here. Last year, to was, the one here in Amsterdam, yeah, was in a more or less small theater. And we, I can't remember exactly, but we were about I don't 300 know, 50 people or a hundred last year. And, at the and Amsterdam year, conference. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was at the same conference, but that wasn't a foundation conference, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, so it was about the same size as the one in uh, San Jose, but a uh, very different crowd. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. How different? Well, there's a lot more money involved, a lot more people in suits, uh, <laughs> which was a little bit strange compared to the San Jose crowd where it was a lot more just uh, technical evangelists, people who are yeah. really interested in the technology. Um, so that's an adjustment, um, but that's part of growing up, I suppose. Um, there was definitely more focused on business. Most of the panels were... Yes, we did see that. some people doing mm -hmm. business dances, in fact. <laughs> Quite a few of them, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, I think my, my, I mean, I only got here on uh, Thursday, <laughs> on Friday afternoon, so I, I saw half the conference, and uh, my immediate impression was like, this like this is serious business now. I mean, um, even just as uh, as press. I mean, when we were in Berlin, it was much easier to just kind of grab someone and say, "Hey, let's do an interview. Uh, can you talk to us for a few minutes or whatever?" Like here, it was much more structured. We had like you know, press rooms and yeah, and, and uh, people were much harder to get a hold of. Um, more cagey too, because yeah. there's some business thing that they're working on. Yeah, and there's a. There's some some segregation now, you know. There are like the speakers' rooms. That, you know, there's like a, a segregation of like like a tiered system almost. That you know, there are like 
people doing business, having money, and then the other people. So I, I feel like you definitely notice that. Maybe it's a, that's the beginning, I presume. If you have like a year from now, it would probably be more extreme. Probably. I mean, maybe maybe now's the time to start thinking about some sort of uh, technical unconference where just the, uh, the community people organize it. I think that would be... I think that would be extremely valuable, yeah. No, I, I think that's needed. I mean, in, in addition to that, I'm not saying this, you know, this is also good, but uh, I, I think something like that would be very useful. I mean, there there's, was uh, a, a room specialized in technical talks. Yeah. That was good. Uh, but I think some other conferences are not very technical. I, I don't know, you went to consume it, for example? Oh, yeah, it was very similar to the Coin Summit in San Francisco. I think it's the same kind of conference that we're moving towards there. I mean, it, could it be also just because it's a found, the foundation conference and, I mean, they are sort of a political entity in, in, in sorts. And, I mean, I've only been to two conferences, but uh, maybe this is just kind of emblematic of the foundation conferences that feels a bit more segregated and... You get sort of this kind of tiered system that Brian. I think it's just. About. I think it's something in general of the Bitcoin community as a whole right now. We're we're growing up, and becoming uh, mm. more mature. And uh, to people who are interested in just the tech and, and 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 philosophy and stuff like that, it's 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 a bit of a change. But you know that's that's part of. Uh, it's part of growing pains. Yeah, I also want to kind of address one thing that I think was really a theme at this conference, which was, of course, organized by the Foundation. There's been a lot of criticism of the Foundation over the last year or so. I get, and it's on various fronts, but on the one, one criticism has been that it's very US-centric. And it, you know, it doesn't really, you know, most board members were American or in US, etc. No, it is a US trade group, that's what it is, legally. Yeah, so I think, I mean, that was also an attempt, that's, you know, that's why the conference here. Mm -hmm. After yeah. all, uh, and so that was one attempt, and I think it was was very visible that they're trying to change that. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's going to work is another question. They also signed up some countries as affiliates. So, for example, Germany. I'm I'm a member of the German association, and, and mm -hmm. became like an affiliate now. Mm -hmm. And also the way they addressed that at first, they had these very. Um, they sent these agreements like, become a subsidiary of the foundation, give us half the money, and then like. And people were like, are you crazy? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And I think they've come away quite a lot from that. So now it's uh, it's become much more that, you know, you do whatever you want, policy-wise, content-wise, but, you know, will help with... And I thought the idea was to create a, a US-based foundation and then a global one. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I know some people were talking about that. Some people also in German thing were like, this, we need this, otherwise it's a problem. I don't know what the progress is there. And, and then, that's, of course, the other problem has been that some of the board members have gotten into some trouble, like Mark Capelli. So just before we go into that, though, like, when uh, we talked, so we talked with John, uh, and his... John Matonis. Yeah, so his view is that, uh, so like you said, they're, they're building an affiliate network around the world so that the foundation can have some satellite offices in... Uh, many countries so they signed up like seven or seven or eight five five and then some two more so germany and poland no it's five in total now. five in total okay um and so he says that, you know the, the 
individual foundations will keep their autonomy and, and everything. But to me, it still seems like, like the impression that I got from it was still like, you know, the U.S. is the center of the world and everybody kind of depends on off of it. I mean, I mean, there's, of course, the way you look at it, right? So, like you said, you know, it looks a bit like a U.S. trade organization, you know, and then that's that's certainly the way many people see it. And then the way they want to understand themselves is as a global foundation. I think they're also changing the headquarters of London. Uh, or I don't know if it's going to be an additional quarter, but they, they are incorporating London now of the office there. So. And there, there was also, so there was the members meetup at the, at the very end of the conference, um, in which, you know, they had the new board members, mm-hmm. because of course, Mark Capelli is resigned and uh, Charlie Schramm. And you know, answering questions and things like that. So I, I was personally, I had a, a rather positive impression, uh, like an, as in a positive surprise. I think you know, I think they are doing valuable work, and it seems a lot of the criticisms, as in like lack of transparency, etc., uh, is certainly justified. But it's it seems to be to a large extent due that they're just uh, understaffed and like struggling to keep up with the... I think they've gone from like two people six months ago to nine people now, which is of course also difficult to scale down. Yes, yeah, it, it's very difficult. They're way overburdened with what they what they feel that they need to do for the community and uh, the number of projects that they have on their plate. So uh, they've got a tough time ahead of them. Um, all the work that I've seen them do is really good. Um, I, I don't really have anything negative to say about the foundation's work, um, and, but I do think that we were talking earlier about other affiliate foundations, and I think there's room for many foundations. There shouldn't be the Bitcoin Foundation. Well, there, there should be many. There Bitcoin is, right? Like uh, there are some people who started this global Bitcoin alliance thing, which is mm, meant to be some kind of anti-foundation foundation. foundation. <laughs> uh, well, I, I wish there was more. <laughs> foundations that didn't define themselves in terms of the Bitcoin Foundation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of torn on this because, again, we, we need to look at, I think we need to have you know, some kind of guiding light uh, and somebody or a, an entity that kind of gives a direction of where Bitcoin is going and, and the general guidance. But at the same time, that opens up uh, to some problems, you know, so centralization, which is what we're tra- all trying to destroy. So, but yeah, but I think some things just you can't really decentralize when it mm. comes to like talking to regulators and trying to get you know as positive uh, laws for Bitcoin as possible. Well, if you're gonna that's have what seven the Bitcoin Foundation has done really well. I yeah, mean, uh, for some reason, when they launched, I think because of the association with Gavin, people had this idea that this was the core Bitcoin team launching a group that represented them when the Bitcoin Foundation doesn't represent the Bitcoin developers or the Bitcoin yeah. users except those who have actually are voluntarily signed up to become members. No, that's also one thing to stress that uh, at the members meeting was like that, like we are not representing the Bitcoin uh, community, we're representing the members of the... Yeah, precisely. Yeah. And, and then also if you look at the funding, they all talked about that, they get 70% of the funding from companies. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so uh, they have to defend the company's interest. Exactly, uh, but they were they were very clear about that. You know, it was like we get all our money from there, and you know, board. I think in terms of board seat is 50-50 between individual members and uh, industry elected members. Yeah. So they were like, I mean, it's very clear that there's a strong. This is a strong industry. Yeah, so probably most of the criticisms against the foundation is from people that are probably expecting too much from the foundation. I have a different view of what it is than what it actually is. Yeah. Um, and what I feel is like there, there is room here for something analogous to like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is not an industry group. It doesn't represent companies, it represents users. And so, I mean, there's, there's certainly room for that. I mean, maybe the Bitcoin Foundation will transition into being that at some point, or maybe there's a separate foundation that's set up. Uh, I don't think there's, should, we should be competing with each other. We don't need to have the one true foundation. Yeah. But, I, I, yeah, I, I feel like my impression was they were trying, you know, they are trying to address the criticism of, like, transparency. Like, they were, you know, transparent with, like, there, I think they're also publishing a board minutes now and things like that, like all the me meeting, what they said, discussed, etc. So well, and they are they are becoming more international. I mean, yeah, I suppose Mark Ellis was in Japan, and so he, that was international. But he was replaced with, um, with Bobby Lee from Bitcoin China. And yeah. yeah, he's also you know he's that represents a very large growing segment of. Yeah, so Bitcoin. I think now there is a uh, a few foreigner. Right, there, there's one. I guess he lives in. Uh, California, but Mike Malka or something. He's yeah. Argentinian, actually. So there, there is some mention. And John Matonis is at least lives in London. But, yeah. yeah. I think, like you said, I think there's a need for a, a some sort of foundation that represents users, like the EFF, for instance, that um, has less of uh, an industry focus. Huh? Less of an industry focus. Yeah, less of an industry focus, but more of a of a focus, uh, a long term uh, evolution and advancement focus in terms of, yeah. you know, the good of of the, of the people, <laughs> um, and not so much on. Uh, well, something that's focused on on decentralization and making sure that's the most important. Yeah, Just like yeah, Electronic yeah. Frontier Foundation's right. focused on privacy. Exactly. And uh, another thing I was going to say. Uh, Oh yeah. So as as far as the board goes, uh, I think that if the foundation is going to branch off, I mean, have affiliates in different countries, and um, and really try to be an international um, entity, they should really try at least, to, or, or or even have it as a mandate that their board members be, in, you know, international board members, so of different nationalities from all continents. Yeah. I mean. Well, we also have to see that I think most of the members at this point are Americans, so it will be. Uh, and the situation is like all complex. I just, I just complimented them on having Bobby Lee, but of course, Bobby Lee is actually American. Yeah. He, he moved to China. He understands the China market very well. So I mean, it's, it's Bitcoin yeah. in general is is complicated like that. You see so many expats, um, and so it's kind of hard to classify people in, in such a way. Yeah, no, that's totally um, true. But I wish them the best. I'm speaking as an outsider. I'm not a member of the foundation. I'm not involved with their workings at all. So I just think that as long as we have people working towards better regulation, better laws, and uh, maintaining the principles that make Bitcoin what it is, then we're good. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on and talk about uh, your project. So it's 
Frycon, perhaps we can start with that. I, I remember I met you, Jorge, like a year ago, and I, I'd heard about Frycon, and I thought it was one of the most interesting uh, altcoins because it actually tries to do something different. It's not just like cloning Litecoin. Yeah, changing a few parameters. Yeah, and, yeah the, the main idea behind Frycon is uh, the Moritz, which is uh, a, a pro- uh, Silvio Gesell, a German economist, proposed it uh, uh, to have low interest rates. Like, um, because we pay a lot of interest on everything we pay for. There's a component of interest. And far more than we realize. Yeah. yeah. Like people sometimes uh, think I don't care about the interest because I don't have a loan or I don't have debt. But you're paying interest everywhere. If Can you, you explain that? Yeah. So, so if I pay, if I buy coffee, how am I paying interest, or am I? Well, the coffee was ground in the coffee machine, and the coffee machine costs money, and, the, and to for the cafe to buy, um, so they bought it on a loan, which they pay interest on, and that's the, the local where you uh, uh, take the coffee also is paid through a loan. Oh, they have a mortgage. Uh, the coffee is, beans themselves were grown on a plantation where they probably got the seeds uh, via some sort of financing deal. Okay, no, that makes sense. Sure, yeah, a percentage of the price so, basically so goes to paying interest. There are studies that says that only 10% of the population actually get more interest than they pay. And I, the, I've seen and that, yeah, yeah. No, that is, I think that's true. Yeah. And, that, and that represents a wealth transfer. It's, it's a very invisible, indirect one that, that no one's aware of, but it is wealth transfer from the 90% to the 10%. Yeah, sometimes Frycon is criticized like uh, for being a mechanism for redistribution, but it's actually trying to prevent it. <laughs> to prevent redistribution from the poor to the rich. So let's talk a bit about this demurrage idea. How exactly does that work? So you're, when you have a Frycoin wallet, you're, every time that a block is found, about every 10 minutes or so, uh, your balance reduces a very slight amount. And what that does is that provides pressure. You're incentivized to use the currency the way money is meant to be used, to spend things, to invest in things, to, to lend it maybe. lend it out um, at lower interest rates because you'd rather get the money back later in the full amount than have it just disappear in your account. Um, and this is very similar to, similar but not the same as the pressure that you have to, to use uh, fiat currency because, because it's of inflation. Yeah, yeah, it's not exactly the same. Demurge is a little bit better, but it's harder to do in fiat. Um, and because of this pressure, it keeps the economy healthy. It keeps currency moving even in hard times. Like for example, the financial crisis, we had a credit crunch where people didn't want to use their currency; they wanted to hold on to it. But if your currency was disappearing while you held on to it, well, you'd want something a little bit more stable, right? Can you talk about the difference between inflation and demurge? Yeah. Why do you think the merge is better? Yeah, I think the effect on interest is different because uh, inflation normally translates into an inflation premium that, that's added up to the interest. So uh, you could divide uh, interest, gross interest, in, in a risk premium that yeah. comes from the fact that, that there's a risk that you don't get the money back. And the time fact. No, and there's also inflation premium, yeah. just discounting what you're going to lose uh, through inflation. And the last component would be the basic interest. Yeah. And that's why what Demarage is trying to 
to suppress. And if that's uh, if that's difficult to, to understand the, the distinction there, I mean, one other way that I, I, I help, I try to explain it is how inflation, as it's implemented in fiat currency, for example, uh, it's it's very localized where the money is created. It's created in the investment banks who deal with the, the, the central bank. Um, and there's different mechanisms in every country, but uh, it's it's a very few wealthy elite who have first cool. access to the currency issuance. Uh, and the inflation happens over time because prices are sticky. They don't adjust automatically. Right. And so people who have access to the money first, first are able to better use that money before the effects of added money hit the market and prices go up. Yeah, so, so there was a lot of monetary inflation after the crisis, but the people, the banks who had most of the money the did, ones who didn't got, suffer yeah. much from the price inflation that comes later. When when the, the Federal Reserve in the U.S. started printing trillions of dollars and giving them out to investment bankers, the investment bankers got to appreciate that right away, and then we paid the interest when it finally came to us later on. Uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't seen the effects of that yet. I think we, right? I mean, I mean we have. I think uh, it's, it's there have been some price inflation, but not as so a, much. Especially as asset price, right? I mean, but, if you yeah, talk most people also haven't seen the effects of, of quantitative easing either. I mean, they're still looking for a job. And yeah. <laughs> so. no, no, exactly. I mean, I think that's uh, my view of that. Is right. We had with quantitative easing and those things, we had a, a huge increase in the money supply, and. Um, we haven't yet had price inflation and more yeah, than a little normal. bit, but not maybe as asset much. prices like real estate and that thing. Mm -hmm. But we also, of course, haven't seen like uh, people yeah. getting jobs and stuff. Because inflation, uh, monetary inflation, which is printing more, let's say, uh, doesn't necessarily translate into price inflation, because people who get that money can just hoard it and it won't affect prices. Yeah, if you give Goldman Sachs similar. a trillion dollars, I'm, I'm sure. Not all of it's going to go out their door the next day. Right. No, <laughs> no. I think there's been uh, that's been shown clearly that most of the money uh, that was given to banks in quantitative easing they didn't actually lend out, but they yeah, just but, used it to shore but, up their But many sheets. commodities have risen because they get the, that money and they use it to speculate maybe on rice or something. Yeah, yeah. And then you feel that when you go to the store and, and your food is more expensive. So we we don't I don't we don't begrudge bankers. I don't want to come off as being classist or something like oh, you that. Can. Well, <laughs> I'm sure we can, but, but we're not. I mean, because there, there are roles for people in the financial industry. I think, I think it's very valuable what they do. I just think that the system itself has been structured in such a way that they unfairly gain from it. No, I, I think that's really important to uh, be aware of with all those things. It's most, it's not bad people, but it's yeah. bad incentives and bad systems. And so you asked the difference between inflation and demerge. And so demerge, is fair in that it affects everyone across the board immediately in the same way, proportional to how much coins they hold. Uh, and so you don't have an unfair situation where the poor or people who are separated from the financial institutions are affected worse than those yeah. who are closer to it. So can you talk maybe about the, the distribution of these coins? Like, um, Oh yeah, uh, we wanted to prevent issuing all the, all the initial monetary base through mining subsidies because that we think that's kind of wasteful and the Franco community was uh, very much in line with ecological ideas. Okay. So many people were complaining about, before lunch, uh, were complaining about that. 
And we don't want to offend any miners out there. It's valuable work that you do, but you're one part of a larger ecosystem. So why should the issuance go 100% to just that? Yeah, and, and in the end, in Bitcoin, uh, mining subsidies will stop. So yeah. miners uh, will have to live on transaction fees or demorage fees on, in the long run. So we thought that 20% of mining subsidy was enough to bootstrap the currency. What about the other 80%? The other 80% is to be distributed through, through mechanisms that, uh, in which we don't take many decisions. That's the idea. That's only currently one mechanism for distribution, which is match donations. So any nonprofit can be listed in the foundation web, and the donations they receive are increased by ten percent. But but there's more proposals for different distribution yeah. mechanisms. So we we've set up a California nonprofit. Um, scientific research organization that is meant to oversee the distribution of these coins. But I think the very important point is what Jorge just said about how we want to explore mechanisms for the community selecting where the issuance goes. We never ever want to be in the position of choosing winners. And so yeah. that's that's where the, the so far only distribution mechanism in place and, has and come out. That also matches. the idea is uh, taking this opportunity to experiment in new distribution schemes. Mm -hmm. Because since in the long run, uh, the five percent demerits, if if we don't find another solution, it will have to go to miners. And, and some, some percentage of it should always go to the miners. Yeah, but yeah. Maybe uh, not all of it. That's a lot but of the maybe five percent is too much. Some people suggested. So mm -hmm. we don't know if it's too much or not. But uh, it would be great to have a solution before we find out if it's too much or not. So does the total amount of fry coins stay the same over time? Or yeah, so at any given time, once the initial issuance is out, there's a hundred million fry coins, approximately. Um, and at each block, the uh, of the entire balances of everyone in aggregate are reduced 97 fry coins, which 97 out of 100 million is not a lot per block. Um, but at the same time, the miners receive the perpetual reward of 97. Yeah. So it is kind of like a recycling. Of yeah, that yeah. has an interesting side effect that, for example, in Bitcoin, when you lost a key, yeah. the coins are lost forever. Yeah, so Bitcoin, the, the amount in circulation but, is But Frycoin recycles them, they, mm -hmm. it destroys them by demerits and issues them again through miners. And how big, so you talked about the community, uh, how, how big is the Frycoin community? Oakland, Oakland, I don't know if we have any good metrics on this. I mean, I was running, I, I was keeping track of how many unique nodes were running at one point. It was pretty surprising, 500 to 1,000 or something like really? that. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, um, it, it's yeah, hard because we don't have like meetups or anything. Forums, so. uh, it's less people and some people are active for some time, then they leave. So it's hard to tell. And you mentioned meetups. Are there meetups? No, no. I was saying no. I, I wish there were. We, we should probably get the on that. We have too many things to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so so where, where do you see this project going um, in the next year or so? Uh, we would like to have more distribution mechanisms. Yeah. That's something the community is asking for. 
Uh, and we really want input from the community on this because uh, we're being very firm. It has to be something that's very free and fair and trustworthy, trustless. And, and, and we don't take direct de decisions like here's uh, X Frycons for you to do something like we don't decide directly because we don't want to have that power. Right? We've gotten a lot of proposals. Oh, hey, you know, give me this many fry coins and I'll go like sign people up and we'll do basic income. And that's great. I want to support basic income, but we need some sort of like something. It's in, hard to do in reality. Uh, it's hard to do yeah, in reality. In a, in a peer to peer it, way. It, it's got to be something that conforms to the principles underlying Bitcoin. You know, it's got to be completely trustless and relying just on the cryptography and the protocol. In the so, long run, one idea for distribution. Uh, we call it uh, Republicoin, and it's using proof of stake. Uh, first of all, we, we don't think proof of stake is uh, secure to for <clears throat> transactions and realization, but yeah, for mining, you know, proof yeah, of stake for, mining is a silly concept. But go on. yeah, but uh, but uh, it can be used for, uh, to to vote on the distribution of these coins. Uh, it's, it was your idea, so maybe. Uh, yeah, so the idea is we have that 5% per year that's being reissued to the miners. And as we said, perhaps 5% of the entire monetary base is too much security. So maybe a few percent of that could be given to other causes. But how do you choose those causes? Well, one mechanism is that you can use proof of stake to vote um, proportional to your holdings on where they should be going. Um, and structuring it correctly is a, is a bit of a challenge, so people don't just vote, oh, they should go to me, and you aggregate that up and everyone pays themselves. No, we want to avoid that. Uh, but if you, but it, it should be possible, and we have done you know, some modest simulations and think that if you structure it correctly, it would work kind of like a parliamentary democracy where people delegate their votes to parties who have coalitions and then the coalition decides a budget. Uh, we're, we're still on a design phase there, so there's much to be discussed yet uh, still. But. So I, I'm, I want to talk about one thing which I, I thought about a lot and I think it's really important. So when we look at Bitcoin, it's not clear to me whether that deflation uh, 21 million uh, is, is a good system, you know. But one thing that I do think is clear to me that it worked extremely well in bootstrapping uh, the community because it really incentivizes, you know, early adoption. Uh, so I'm curious, how does how does Frycoin deal with that? Because it seems like you, even if maybe it is a better system economically, or maybe it's a uh, more just and equitable system, but you have a. It seems to me there's a problem in in rewarding uh, early adopters. Well, so. In the very long term, fry coins are going to be relatively stable valued, but right now at half a cent each, I'm not sure that's... <laughs> not following really the price, <laughs> but, but uh, the hope is that um, since you have like a compulsion to spend it or use it for something, merchants will accept them and will accept both Bitcoin and Frycoin, mm -hmm. and, but people who have both Bitcoin and Frycoin will will tend to spend always the Frycon first, so they will circulate more and other merchants mm -hmm. will think, okay, I should accept it too because people with Frycons want to spend them first. But as long as there's yeah. a market where you, where you can buy and sell Frycoins um, and preferably uh, something like BitPay that will do it for you, 
then the merchant doesn't care. They they would rather make a deal than have no deal, right? Even if yeah, they get sure. paid in Yeah, sure. The thing is, the the merchant doesn't have an incentive to start accepting Frycoin unless there is uh, people wanting to pay with Frycoin. No, but but I mean, yeah, uh, Frycoin uh, perish with time, but but your product as a seller also perishes, and maybe if you're a worker, your product is your labor. If you don't work that day, that 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 labor that is lost forever. But mm -hmm. what, what I mean is, when Bitcoin started, mm -hmm. there was no value to the Bitcoins, mm -hmm. right? But in a sense, it rewarded people getting engaged with it because if they saw potential and they say like, okay, I'm going to get engaged with it. If I'm right, mm -hmm. then, you know, there's going to be a huge amount of reward. And well, so I think that worked really well. 5% is not a lot, actually. 5% a year. I mean, yeah. Frycoin's only been around for a year, so if you were in on the very early days of mining, your balances are almost the same as they were. So I, I think if you see potential for there being a wide spectrum of currency types and the use for Frycoin specifically, I think there would be reward for getting involved. I mean, I don't want to make forward-looking investment statements, but... Yeah, it's uh, kind of a, a currency <laughs> design, a, not to speculate so much. But, and, and, but yeah, you can also speculate with it because it can rise mm -hmm. uh, more than... Right, more it, it's than still the, in its growth period, just like Bitcoin was in its early Yeah, days. and it's still true, is, right? Yeah. If you do have widespread adoption, of course, then the 5% is not a uh, like, significant amount. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You, you talked about uh, the need for exchanges. Where can you buy Frightcoin now? Vircurex, uh, I don't know if it's close or what happened. Uh, no, it's on, um, what's the popular one? Cripsy? Is it's on Cripsy it is? also yeah. and yeah, so. just uh, Bitter. Yeah, the Chinese exchange, Bitter. Yeah. These are those three, I think. And so is that like, because um, you contacted them and, and or they uh, We they contacted some of them and some of them just I mean, we, started. We, we talked with them, like if there's ever problems and like there has been once or twice in the or, past, we worked with them to get or if we can help, things like that. But some of them yeah. just started on their own. Their but the own. most recent, recent batch, I think they just started it on their own. Yeah. So I'm curious, are there any merchants that accept Frycoin? Yeah, yeah there's, there's a on the foundation website, which is uh, foundation.frycoin.org. There's a list of uh, non-profits which has accept uh, it as donations and also a list of merchants that accept them. Cool, can you talk about a few? Like, where are they? Um, there was a, a, re a retro game gaming site in England, I think. Uh, I don't know which more. Uh, can't remember. Can you remember? Well, I, I do remember that they, there's there's a number of people as well on the the Frightcoin forums um, who have been buying and selling services and 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 just acting basically as an exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Kind of like purse.io is now doing with Bitcoin. yeah there's also joe's uh, and, uh, website for auctions yeah so and that, ebay i think it's, he calls it, it but it's it, an ebay with the it's even like but, and it's interesting because you go there and often it's empty <laughs> but the reason it's empty is <laughs> but, because anytime something goes on there like people immediately bid on it and buy it oh, so yeah, it's yeah. like it's yeah and, and <laughs> that was curious that uh, unlike many other altcoins in the very early stages people use it for Trading, I don't know, second-hand stuff. That's right. Actually, the first use, like within a week of launch, people were using it for trading, um, like game licenses on Steam and things like that. Yeah. Um, okay. Coupon codes. Yeah. Old hardware. Old hardware. There were there there was quite a bit of activity with that. Some of that still moved on to um, Frybay that Joe is running, but um, 
who was for for a while very active on the Bitcoin talk forums as well for that. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk about Fry Market. That's uh, another project kind of related to Frycoin. Yeah, it's uh, related. Uh, we, we in fact we think we might have made a mistake mm -hmm. choosing the name because. Uh, <laughs> Everybody thinks that it's only for Frycoin, but I mean, we want to deploy it on it on... We want to and we will deploy it on Frycoin, and the Frycoin miners have already agreed to the hard fork once it's ready. Um, but it's not actually intrinsically re required to be on Frycoin. You could deploy it on it on Bitcoin as well, okay. although, we should, although a hard fork on Bitcoin, of course, is not about what it actually easier. is. It's, um, yeah, it's a system for, for issuing assets um, and doing... Uh, more complex transactions such as auctions or peer-to-peer -peer exchanges. Yeah, it's like an improvement on color coins. Mm -hmm. by, by changing the rules you make it more efficient and mm -hmm. you can support interest rates. And many of the use cases are, are similar to what's now being popular with projects like Ethereum and Mastercoin and stuff like that. It's the same use cases, but we're trying to do it within the Bitcoin ecosystem. It is, it is a set of hard fork changes, a minimal set of hard fork changes. So whether it gets applied to Bitcoin in the future is kind of unclear. Um, yeah, and, and the idea is uh, keep the development uh, within the Bitcoin or not too separated, so that you can leverage yeah. the improvements on. You can still itself. use, you know, cross-chain trades, um, or once it's ready, side chains and two-way pegging to move value onto Frycoin or whatever network it's on. Yeah, and then you use the Bitcoin the, scripting yeah. language to build con contracts. So we're, we're trying very hard to reuse what Satoshi has given us in terms of a generic platform for for doing any kind of smart property contract. Um, just add a few of the features that we're missing. Yeah, we, we want to support what we call transitive transactions. Mm -hmm. We used to call them ripple Transi transa transitive, transitive transactions. <laughs> well, we used to call they, them <laughs> ripple transactions. Before ripple now, was trademarked. <laughs> yeah, we thought that maybe it wasn't a good idea keep calling it ripple transactions. But yeah. it's based on the name comes from transitive trust. And the idea is, you know, I trust my friend Al Alice, Alice trusts Bob, Bob trusts Charlie, I can do business with Charlie, even though I don't trust him directly, because yeah. we can swap IOUs along the way. Um, and that was the idea underlying uh, Ryan Fugger's Ripple. Yeah, I, I mean, his idea was trying to make Let's scale. Let's is a system for local currencies, and it, the it's similar currencies, to yeah. a barter system with points. So is, is that related to Fry Market? Yeah, well, you can, you can do that. The birth of Fry Markets was us trying to figure out how to do this system um, Basically on, like on Ripple within yeah like within Bitcoin, uh, like yeah. Ryan's uh, implementation was centralized he had a decentralized design but uh, and one of the proposals was to make it on top of a blockchain to make it decentralized yeah, which you worked on yeah so th this fry market what well, i mean Concretely, what is it? Is it, is it a client or is it a, a website? No, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a design it's an, for it's now. It's an augmentation okay. to the Bitcoin protocol. So, okay. so Fry Markets, obviously, the name was chosen because it's a pun on free markets. Okay. And the idea was to create a mechanism for having clearinghouses for any kind of asset, you know, whether it's commodities, whether it is vouchers for redeeming at a store or whatever, um, and create the scripting opcodes necessary in order to do complex transactions on top of it. Um, so you can have options and things like that. Um, so it's really an extension of the of the scripting language. Yes. Yeah, there's so a, a few new upcodes and also new fields. In yeah. 
new, new fields in the transaction and new ways of structuring transactions. So mm -hmm. you can you can the, one of the core features is your, the ability to partially sign a transaction and say almost like prototype a transaction. Right. And you would use this. The easiest way to explain in, in an exchange is you set a price. You say I'm willing to buy up to 100 Litecoins for this many Bitcoins, um, and you sign that and broadcast it and anyone else can then use that to build a transaction but it doesn't touch the chain until someone feels yeah it doesn't tell the touch the chain until there's a there's an opposing ask for the bid uh, but when someone does say that that's that's something they want to that that's a that's a price that they will take then they provide the other half they say okay you wanted that many litecoins for this many bitcoins well here's the bitcoins you need and here's and, and, and i'll take the litecoins so this would essentially be a way to build a decentralized exchange yeah. oh yeah because that's, then yeah. Some, yeah. someone could come could aggregate all those incomplete yeah. transactions I mean, you, offers yeah. people send out and so then the miners the miners like do is, yeah. the miners could do the the the, mm, they look for the a matching. crossover on whenever there's a bid that's yeah. you know and, the than and they can take the difference. So you can SAP. do it yourself, uh, try it, uh, the trade, or or and miners probably will do it uh, also. But uh, you can do this more or less with color coins. But the problem is uh, you have to connect with all the parties in the mm -hmm. trade before the trade. With this, you can so you come to with broadcast coins, your yeah. order, go offline, and and then the yeah, trade no, it's can not happen. your problem anymore. If it happens, it happens. It happens no, yeah, yeah and there's so many other things that small additions we made, so you can partially redeem outputs, and that's valuable because you can say, look, I want to buy, like I said, a hundred Litecoins for however many Bitcoins. Okay, I only want twenty. You know, but so when the other person on the other side, side says, well, that's great, but you know, I'm only going to be selling twenty. I'm not going to be selling a hundred. Well, they can take one fifth of your output, and you know. You can have it split as many different ways as you like, as long as it just adds up to what your maximum total is. So I think this is a very interesting idea to achieve this kind of decentralized exchange idea, which I guess is a sort of a holy grail in that all those attempts to extend cryptocurrencies to something beyond and take on more functions. Yeah, I think that, was, that exchange was, idea is central. No? It was kind of exp uh, surprising. I mean, we, we, we saw its value, obviously. Um, it, but although that was falling on deaf ears a, a year ago at the conference, and then uh, all of a sudden things like first Mastercoin, then Counterparty, and then Ethereum came out, all trying to do the same thing but outside of Bitcoin. Um, and that just was very surprising to us because we think that... You're fracturing development, yeah, fragmenting it. Fragmenting development, and the, the community itself has become so well organized uh, behind Bitcoin and Bitcoin has become so successful that it just does not make sense to me why you would want to move outside of that system. I guess maybe we can talk a bit about the side chains yeah. thing after. Yeah, uh, I think that, that seems to relate also to that same idea of yeah, keeping for, things in Bitcoin and as, development as, efforts. As we said, Fry markets it uh, can be deployed, will be deployed in Frycoin, but it can be, could be deployed on Litecoin I mean, or... Ideally, OG. we'd want it deployed on Bitcoin. I mean, that would be perfect, but it's, but it's, it's a, hard for it's at a this very large to, change to make. And I don't it's think, unlikely. I, it's very unlikely. I don't think it will ever happen, um, uh, although I would love if it did. But then the, the question becomes, okay, so you can't deploy it to Bitcoin. We have to deploy it to some sort of alt. Well, what if we really want to use bitcoins on our fry markets transactions we want to buy and sell stuff for bitcoins without having a gateway like for example in the new ripple.com yeah. you, you can have bitcoins but 
they're not really Bitcoin. They're you're giving stamps. Yeah, Bitcoins you're or, giving Bitcoins to someone and hoping that they just don't run off with them. Yeah. You know, and you're getting vouchers instead. So is there a trustless way to do it? And that's what that's what Adam Beck and Greg and Greg Maxwell uh, were looking at back in December. Is this basically a, a trustless way to do that? And that's how the side chain concept emerged. I mean, with with some currencies, say the U.S. dollar or euro, you will always have to trust a gateway. But with Bitcoin, you don't have to trust a gateway with two-way peg. Yeah. Yeah. So with, uh, should I go into two-way pegging? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, you guys are also involved in side chains, no? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, th that's the connection. Is you know we want we want. So what we're doing, fry markets, and it's within the. It's within the Bitcoin ecosystem, but it's on an alt. It's on Frycoin or whatever other chain adopts it. And we want to get it even more integrated into Bitcoin. So you can use Bitcoin directly. Um, and sidechains are the answer to that. So that's how we came, came around to you to advocating for and working on sidechains. Um, so, so tell us about the work you're doing in sidechains. Yeah, so, so, so there are some preparatory work that needs to be done to enable sidechains. Um, I recently uh, sent a an email description to the, the Bitcoin developers mailing list uh, explaining one aspect of it, which is compact SPV proofs, the ability to um, the ability to uh, demonstrate what the longest chain is without having to include every single block header. Um, and it, it's a very technical improvement, but it's something that's needed for yeah, side yeah. chains. You said that you're talking about the committed UTXO, right? Uh, well, that's also helpful, but uh, I was committing to previous block headers and then uh -huh. oh, yeah, using they, that they, they compressed uh, headers first. So yeah. can you break that down for like a non-technical audience? Yeah, so the, 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 <laughs> oh, the, basic, the basic problem involved in sidechains is you send your coins to another chain, but Bitcoin has no knowledge of what that chain is, even how that chain works, it can't validate that chain. So it trusts the miners. It's, it's an SPV level of security. It says, okay, we are going to trust that. The, the chain that has the most work committed to it is the one that is mo is valid. And so if someone tries to move funds back, we just care that it's the longest. Right, okay. Um, so the question becomes, how do you prove that it's the longest chain? Uh, obviously, you include the block headers, you know, one after another for however long it is. But, but even though block headers are 80 bytes, you know, a couple kilobytes if you're talking about merged mining headers, it adds up really fast. And very quickly, you end up with chains that are longer than the size of a block in Bitcoin. Right. So you need some compact way of representing that. And that's what, what uh, one of the things I'm working on right now is a system where you commit to the Bitcoin blockchain or to the sidechain blockchain. You commit uh, the entire history in a Merkle tree structure. It's a hash tree structure kind of like Bitcoin already uses for transactions. Mm -hmm. um, and that lets you put just a small number of bytes in each block and then use those when you find lucky blocks to skip over block headers. And uh, the improvement that you get is that um, for, you know, a hundred, to skip over a hundred blocks, it ends up taking you like six or seven um, block headers in order to do that. And this is something that it's generally good. Even yeah. if you weren't going to implement two-way pack, that, that's... Yeah, it has, uh, it has other use cases. It's, yeah. it's better for header first synchronization. Mm -hmm. So Peter Wheel is working on a header's first sync for Bitcoin, which is going to be really fantastic when it comes out. It's going to cut down the synchronization time greatly. Last time it was tested, which was like six to nine months ago, uh, it was it was able to saturate uh, your typical inter home internet connection with right. downloading the blockchain. Yeah. Whereas right now, like if you if you're fetching blocks, it'll 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 do it at random from peers, and sometimes you get the same block like four or five times. So it's 
really inefficient. Um, but uh, with uh, the headers first, it would be uh, much, much more faster because it's more smart about how it downloads blocks. And so this is needed so that, you know... Um, For finding out which, which is the best chain to download. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, in, in, the, goal, in, in the larger uh, perspective, this is needed so that you know, we can have fast clients where people can just download uh, an Android app or an iPhone app. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, get, we go, have S SPV already, but yeah. this uh, would make SPV more secure and more efficient, basically. Yeah. So, like, the first time that you load up... Um, Android wallet or something like that. It has to sync every single block header from the last checkpoint um, in the app to the current one. And if that checkpoint was a while ago because there hadn't been a new release, like six months, you have to download six months worth of block headers. But this improvement would let you download, in, for the technical people out there, in logarithmic space, the amount of, of blocks. And that means that you, you're dividing by a large factor um, how many you need to download. Um, so it scales much, much better. You'd be up and running very quickly, not using tons of data on an expensive plan. Data connection. So uh, perhaps you can also mention that, right, Sidechains now has a name, no? At the company. At the company. The company. Uh, yeah, uh, it's um, Blockstream. Uh, Austin Hill and Adam Bach are the founders. We're going to be part of the team. Well, we're part of the team. Cool. We're very excited about working on it, um, and it's it's there's a company behind it, but it's going to be a free and fair and open technology, um, like we feel that any Bitcoin tech has to be. The basic protocol is not something that any company can own. Yeah, yeah, and you cannot sell it, right? You have to monetize it somewhere. If you try to sell it, someone directly. else will fork it. <laughs> so there's there's no reason to even try. And it's also, I mean, yeah, trying to like, raise, like for example, yeah. Ethereum. They're selling Ether already, but Someone could fork the project. And even, they have. Even, That's yeah, they already. Ethereum, yeah. So even before launch, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you can fork it. So if they're promising people returns on free software, it's kind of. Uh, it's definitely risky. Yeah, then I don't think you can offer returns on free software. You can get returns and indirectly, but. Uh, not, not directly from the free software. So I'm curious because. Uh, I've talked with Adam and you know he said he's been meeting VCs and trying to raise uh, venture capital. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious what if you can say anything about how that might work as, as a company because of course uh, a VC will only invest if there's a chance of uh, it. Uh, I don't know. We, I, we, we, try, we trust them on that. I mean yeah. they seem to know what they're doing so. Okay. Yeah I mean, it will be very interesting where that goes. I, I personally think the Ethereum model is, it can work. Uh, it's I mean, unclear it, if it will, but... It can raise money. I don't think it can work in terms of getting return on investment for those investors. I, I feel really sorry for the people who are getting duped into investing these things because if you're, you're investing in Ethereum, you're buying Ether thinking that it's going to become the next Bitcoin, but I see no rational outcome where that can ever be the case. Do you um, think people are, people that are investing in, in that will be investing in Ethereum are getting duped? Uh, it's hard to tell, but but uh, I mean, they should be investing in companies around Ethereum, not right. not in not the on, currency not actual currency. So, so you both uh, skeptical on that? Well, so if if Ethereum, I have skeptical comments about Ethereum's implementation. But I think the general concept is good. And so let's say, let's say and Ethereum it's, is it's original. It's not. It is original. It's just another really nice. it's, Yeah, so it's not just a, a 
parameter tweak. But let's say that Ethereum is successful and uh, it, it becomes everything that Vitalik and others want it to become. Uh, and yet, to use Ethereum, you have to buy these, these Ether that was pre-mined and distributed to some investors and, and held by the founders. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that instead of holding Bitcoin? So someone can just as easily fork Ethereum and, and put it onto a side chain where you can move Bitcoin on. I mean, the, the question there is really going to be how big are the network effects, right? Because you could fork it and have another currency and then maybe it would be cheaper to do yeah, things on there. But if, if Ethereum has a lot of users and developers and if the cost of going somewhere where there's none are high, yeah, that, then, then it might work. Well, ex except that if, it, if, it, if that happened and the, some other alt, let's, let's stop picking on one in particular, became the next Bitcoin, well then when is the next one after that going to replace that one? I mean, there'd, there'd be no end. You'd never, the, the value of Bitcoin comes because we're all agreeing that it is going to be the system of digital scarcity that we're all going to use. Yeah. Um, and, as, and with dropping a currency, it's not easy. Many people didn't thought like, that, like Bitcoin could su uh, succeed because of that. Okay, the system works, but uh, how do you make people uh, people accept it? And the network effect is part of the rationale of, of the side chains. So you, you don't have to bootstrap a new currency to implement new technology, a new chain that does something new. So, you so, can yeah. create a new chain and use Bitcoins in, inside that chain for fees. And, so uh, one thing I find very interesting about the, the side chains idea that it, there seems to be a real uh, attachment to that idea of digital scarcity, you know, and and it seems almost to be uh, ideologically driven to protect that and protect. Well, I don't know if that's a wrong. It's, it's, it's wrapped up in the word itself, digital scarcity. How is it scarce if you have so many different systems of it? and more ones appearing all the time. But I mean, if you have side chains, right, you would use the same um, same bitcoins for different yeah. functions. So. And, and the reason is because, so digital scarcity is useful in so long as it remains a scarcity, a system of scarcity that everyone is using. Um, as soon as you have a, you know, uninteroperable systems of scarcity that aren't one-to-one -one transferable between each other, then you lose all of the network effects. Um, and uh, I, I think that um, when it comes to the future of Bitcoin, we, uh, we need to keep in mind the fact that um, there are people who are investing now in companies, uh, not just in Bitcoin itself, and they're making gambles on the utility of the currency for a whole bunch of different use cases. Um, and if we start playing games about um, setting up different alternative systems that are not interoperable, then we start risking adding risk to every one of these projects and undermining the entire ecosystem as a whole. Yeah, there's a the fragmentation risk. Those right? are the fragmentation yeah. risks, yeah. And, um, and that's really what we're fighting against here is, I mean, there, there, could, be, there could be uses for, for multiple systems of scarcity, but only when they differ from each other fundamentally in how they work, like, like frightening yeah, does. Yeah, if there's substitutes, then, then that doesn't work. Then it yeah, doesn't and work. And sometimes uh, altchains are, they add a little future or they promise it. They don't even have to develop it from the beginning. Like now, no, yeah, now it's centralized this part, but it will be peer to peer by now. 
it's uh, so that the these pump and dump skins are um, often based on premises like uh, I can you Bitcoin is not going to do that so we need a new currency to do this and sidechains are a way to say okay you don't need a new currency you need a new chain maybe but not a new currency so if you make a new currency it's, maybe it's because you you're trying to get rich yeah. fast uh, i think it's an interesting concept that you know we've seen emerge uh, over these last uh, few weeks and months and um I think people are getting used, to kind of like opening up to this idea that perhaps altcoins are not, uh, well, not the viable option to creating different types of currencies, and that we need to keep everything in the blockchain. Um, but then there are those who will want to get rich, right? And there are those who will want to try to improve and and, and fork uh, Bitcoin into something else. So, yeah. Well, uh, how, how long do you think it's going to be until sidechains is in a kind of a beta stage where one can try it out or you will see the first applications? Uh, I think in, uh, this kind of uh, proposals uh, take some time. Uh, Mike Hearn yesterday on, on his talk was uh, talking about some beeps and how long they took to be implemented, like uh, 12 months, 32, beep yeah. 70. Yeah, 12 months. Okay. There, like. There's some ideas that have taken years. We, we, we're hoping that it won't take nearly as long. Um, the technology for, for, for how important we're, 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 we're selling it, the technology actually isn't that complex. It's reusing a lot of components that already exist in novel ways. Um, but it is two or three major software changes to Bitcoin. And so I fully expect that those might take an equal amount of time to get accepted. Um, we're definitely working very hard to get them out and ready to be deployed, but I would expect that after that happens there would be a very long period of public discussion, like there should be, about the merits of the proposals, whether there's better ways to do it, whether there's alternative ways with different trade-offs. Um, and that's a healthy process, it's something that Bitcoin needs. Um, so if people want to learn more about uh, Frycoin, uh, what's the website? It's uh, frico.in, uh, so Frycoin with the dot between the O and the I. Okay, cool. And the uh, Sidechain's website, is is there one? It's not uh, ready yet, but it will be soon. Uh, I think it's will, it will be blockstream.io, but it's not ready yet. Okay. Cool, well, we'll let, uh, we'll let people know once it's ready and I think there's a lot to talk about with the sidechain stuff so, you know, we can come, definitely come back to that. Maybe also once the, the, the project is a little bit further along. So, I hope you guys had a good time in Amsterdam. We certainly did. It's yeah, been, uh, definitely. Yeah. Great couple of days. <laughs> it's a great city. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, we'll be releasing some content. We've, we've done a ton of episodes, uh, or interviews rather. Um, around the conference and also recorded some talks and Sean Jones who was on a few weeks ago actually did a lot of work for us so we want to really thank her for uh, all the interviews that she did and those will also be released in the next few weeks. Yeah no I think we'll have a lot of content and I think we had some some really great conversations so I really yeah. look forward to that. Yeah. So uh, yeah thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back next week. Uh,
if you want to you know support us then uh, you can visit our website uh, and bitcoin.com slash tips you can donate to us uh, there's also our weekly newsletters and every friday so you can subscribe to that at epsilonbitcoin.com slash newsletter and uh, we'll be back next week yeah thanks guys thank you, thank you.